you have a Bible, let's open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. As today we're going to talk about um, marriage and divorce. I remember hearing a story uh, about a little fourth grader and uh, the teacher was asking them questions and the teacher asked, okay, class, uh, what does the Bible say? What does God have to say about marriage? And the little fourth grader raised his hand. He said, teacher, teacher. And he says, what, what does the Bible say have about marriage? And the little fourth grader said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. <laughs> I think a lot of times, you know, going into it, uh, we don't know really uh, how to do this. Uh, a lot of times we'll go in with the fleshly influence or the influence of the world. You know, maybe you're watching television or movies and you're getting your information from uh, those types of people. I'm just so grateful that we have the Bible to guide us. We have the Bible not only to guide us and inform us, but to give us power, you guys. You know, because the, the last thing in the world we want is for your marriage to fall apart. You know, the last thing we will, and it happens. You might be here and you think, well, that'll never happen to me. It, it can happen to anybody. You know, if you're here and you're a single person and you're, you know, maybe uh, praying about one day getting married, you have to know these things too because you got to know what you're getting into. Uh, and so uh, it's important for us to understand the scriptures. Now, today we're going to talk primarily about divorce and uh, this is kind of a tough thing for me, to be honest with you, because I'm aware of the fact that divorce hits home for a lot of us here, you know. Uh, it, it, let me just say this to you, just in case you're here, you're, you're, you know, maybe you've experienced divorce. Um, let me just say, number one, if it was a biblical divorce, let's just say your spouse was unfaithful to you, um, whatever you do, don't condemn yourself. Don't think of yourself as a second-class citizen because there's no such thing in the kingdom of God, okay? So you got to know that even God was divorced. God issued a divorce uh, to Israel. And so please uh, let that encourage you if, if that's you. Uh, secondly, if you're here today and uh, as you're going through life, if it was an unbiblical divorce, maybe it happened before you were saved, it doesn't count. Uh, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so it just kind of gets wiped out, you know, when you become a, a Christian. And so it doesn't mean, though, it doesn't mean that you won't suffer certain consequences as, as always. We always do in divorce, right? But, but biblically, you didn't know any better, and even if you did know better morally, at that time, you didn't have the Lord spiritually. And so we need to, to know these things. Um, and then finally, I need to also mention this. You know, if you're here today and you're, you're hearing the study maybe somewhere down the line, and you were the one who were guilty, you initiated an unbiblical divorce while you were a Christian, maybe there's some here today um, I, I just want to say this to you, that if that's you, just search your heart. Just search your heart. Is there a, a genuine repentance within you? You know, we can't fool God. Uh, he knows us to the core of who we are. We just have to make sure that repentance is real. And when we have that, there will be radical weeping and reaping. Because when you're a Christian going into sin with eyes wide open, the consequences are more. 
You know, the, the Bible talks about how um, the servant who knew his master's stripes and, and didn't obey, he, he, gets more, he gets more, the servant who knew his master's commands and didn't obey, he's then punished with more stripes. So there is a radical uh, reaping, but there, when there's radical repentance, when, when there's real repentance, then there's a radical hope. And so we need to know that uh, as Christians going into this and studying this, that wherever you are, not trying to beat you up, not to condemn you, but we need to lift our eyes to the Lord. We need to know these things, and then we need to, to go forward. Today what we're going to do is we're going to hone in on 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 16. But if you, if you don't already know the parallel passages, let me just give them to you. That way you can look them up on your own and then you can get kind of the full counsel of God when it comes to uh, marriage and divorce. And so passages like Malachi chapter 2, verse 13 through 16 is an important passage, as well as Matthew 19, 1 through 11, and then Mark 10, 1 through 10, as well as Romans 7, 1 through 3. Okay, so those are scriptures that when you look it all up together, you're going to get kind of a general understanding of what the Bible says as a whole. Because it's important that you don't isolate passages because you might read one passage and says, oh, I can never get married again. But it's because you haven't read the full counsel of God. Uh, you know, like for example, John 1.1, 1, 1, it says that the Father is God, the Son is God. It doesn't mention the Spirit is God in that one verse. But when you take up the whole Bible together, you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we need the full counsel of God. And so let's begin reading here in 1 Corinthians 7, in verse 10. And notice what the Bible says. It says, Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. And so here in verse 10, we see that Paul had received an explicit command from the Lord that a wife is not to depart from her husband. Uh, we also see there in the latter portion of verse 11 that this works both ways, that a husband is not to divorce his wife. And so you guys remember, we're now in the section in Corinthians where he's answering questions more than likely, they asked Paul, is it okay for a Christian woman to leave her husband? And Paul says, no, wife is not to depart from her husband. And so again, when you take the whole Bible, here's what the Bible says, that uh, divorce is, God hates it. God hates it, which is why we should love marriage. But sometimes what happens in marriage relationship is there's adultery or there's abandonment. Now, in the case of adultery, God does give uh, permission for the spouse to get a divorce. It doesn't mean that it always has to happen that way because sometimes, as I mentioned earlier, when there's real repentance, that individual is like, I will never do this again. Uh, there can be genuine forgiveness. There can be genuine restoration. And I've seen it happen many times. Sometimes, man, the marriage is better than it was before. And so don't think it has to happen that way, but Jesus knows that that person will never change. Jesus knows sometimes that that act, it dealt the relationship a death blow. And so in that case, if you're married and your spouse is unfaithful, the Lord says that it is permissible, 
to divorce. And so we as pastors, we don't tell people what to do. If you're in that situation, we let the Lord lead you. But if you're there one day and you just feel like you've tried and exhausted your resources and nothing's changing, then we'll be right there with you through the whole process because we know what the Bible says. Or if your spouse leaves you, then we're going to see later that you're free. You don't have to be tormented by the pressures of the world or even the church. No, you're free. You can have peace and, and move on. And God still has plans for your life. And so, you know, what, what Paul is saying here, you know, when we take the whole scripture, is that, yeah, there is adultery, there is abandonment. And he's going to talk about that. But Paul is saying here is, is it's not okay the way the world, the flesh, and the devil, they just flippantly, nonchalantly, conveniently, and unbiblically divorce. You know, someone says, I'm not happy, and they get a divorce. Or, or he's not holy, and they get a divorce. And, and no, God hates it because he knows what it does to the husband, to the wife, to the children, to the witness. The whole world is watching, and you say, you're a Christian. God knows that. And that's why uh, in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16, it says, the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, he says to these guys, these priests who were dealing treacherously with the wife of their youth, he says, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. And so um, it's for life. It's not I do till I'm done. I mean, when you're getting into this marriage relationship, you've got to know the wow of the vow. That it's a commitment until the day you die. You know, one person, Pat Conroy, said each divorce is the death of a small civilization. And God hates it because of the way that it affects so many people. You know, it wasn't that long ago where divorce wasn't as common as it is now. You know, I was interesting, I was reading the statistics and uh, they say that nowadays 42% uh, uh, of all first marriages will end in divorce. 60% of second marriages and 73% of, of third marriages. Now, I'm going to read you guys some statistics, but I want you to know that Jesus is bigger than the statistics. But we need to know these things because this is the world. These are the temptations. These are the lies that we're experiencing. According to this article, uh, there are 100 divorces in our nation every single hour. Uh, one divorce every 36 seconds. 2,400 divorces every day, which comes out to 16,800 every week, and 876,000 divorces every single year. This is why our country is suffering the way that it is. And, and let me just say something to you. Now, again, you know, it takes two to tango, and I understand that. But if, if adultery is a reason for divorce, then make sure that part of your life, your sexual intimacy is healthy. And then secondly, if abandonment is, is a reason for divorce where they leave, if you find yourself you know, drifting from your spouse, do something about it. Invest in your marriage. Love on them. Otherwise, these things will happen. 876,000 divorces every year. This explains why we're in the situation we're in. On average, this is an interesting statistic, a person spends two years thinking about divorce before taking action. 
And so I was thinking, wow, two years they're thinking about it. And I don't know, sometimes it's quicker, you know, maybe sometimes it's longer. But if you're thinking about it for two years, man, rather than just thinking about divorce, how about if you're praying for two years? How about if you're saying, you know what, I'm going to focus on my marriage. Or we're going to see later where wives through their inner beauty can win their husbands or husbands by laying down their life can win their wives. Why? Because we see how critical it is. You know, I think it was Francis Schaeffer. He was a great philosopher. He was an ethics teacher in the universities. He wrote some great books. But he talked about how what happens to a nation is they begin to lose their core values. For example, when you lose the sanctity of life, when, you know, life is, is given to us by God and God alone, and you can't take someone's life because they're created in the image of God, Genesis 9, verse 6. I mean, you start looking at these different things, and, and, it, and it, it changes a whole civilization. It changes a whole society. But when you no longer have this amazing, this sanctity of life, that, that's why people can commit abortions. That's why, you know, euthanasia is growing. Well, I'll just, I'll just check out. You know, I'll just die now. No, God is the one who says when a person's supposed to die. Yeah, but they're suffering. Yeah, I understand that suffering. It's just like a baby suffering coming out of a mother's womb, and then when it enters into glory or the next phase of life, it's, it's wonderful. You have to go through the pain because of the fact that God will use you to your dying breath. I've seen it happen time and time again, but when you lose the sanctity of life, you know, abortion, euthanasia, homicide, murder, shooting, suicide, it's all because we lose the core values or you lose the core value of marriage. What does the Bible say? What God has joined together, let not man separate. Now again, I'm not talking about the exceptions. God knows that. But I'm talking about the way that we conveniently, flippantly, non-biblically divorce. And this is why we have to have, you know, the way that God sees it. He loves marriage. He hates divorce. You know, there is hope. It says right here 6% of divorced couples end up remarrying, and that can happen um, if God works all the different things out. One of the things that I thought was interesting, it says the statistics and the likelihood of divorce, the younger you are, the higher chance of divorce. Uh, this is interesting. The more of your coworkers who are of the opposite sex, if you work with more people on the opposite sex, the higher your risk of a divorce. Now, not to freak anyone out or make anyone insecure, but that's just the way it is. And why? Because of the fact that you're working with people of the opposite sex and there might be a fall into adultery. So when I read that, it just makes me to say, share with you, you know, just put your guard up, man. Make sure you're aware of these things because that's just... You know, the, the statistics. Here's an interesting statistic. It says the higher, the more money you spend on the engagement ring, the higher your chances are of getting divorced. And so I thought, wow, that's kind of cool. You can just say, hey, sorry, sweetheart. You know, we're, we're gonna, we, I want to go the long haul, so here's something from the Cracker Jacks box right here. <laughs> I don't know. Um, what decreases the likelihood of divorce? If your parents are happily married, your risk of divorce decreases by 14%. You know, and Shelly will be the first one, and we can tell you that if it weren't for Jesus, we wouldn't be together, man. He's kept us together, happily married, 
and, and a, lot, a lot of times we, we have to think of our children as well. So I'm going to do this for the Lord. I'm going to do it for her. I'm going to do it for them. You know, it says right here, one in three divorces start as online affairs. 25% of couples fight over social media. And, and so, and there's a lot of things here regarding social media, so be careful with that, guys. And then this thing was, I, I thought this last statistic was interesting because for the most part, they say divorces have kind of uh, uh, tapered off, I mean, in the sense that they're kind of the same. Um, some even say decreasing, and we don't know about statistics sometimes. But this one I thought was interesting. Have you guys ever heard of what's called gray divorce? Gray divorce. It says among those 54 to 64, the divorce rate has quadrupled over the last 30 years. And so when you're older and you get gray hair and you're thinking, well, no, I'm, in go I'm good now. I, I know it's all said and done. I'm going to stick this one out. What we're finding is that the culture, the trend of the day says no. I mean, just like everything else, we have to invest, we have to love, we have to be committed until the day that we die. And so here, when they're asking Paul this question, it's in a culture, it's in a Jewish mentality that says, hey, I can get a, a divorce like that. Man, she burns my food, I'll get a divorce. She spins around, she talks too loud. I find someone nicer, someone prettier, I can get a divorce. That's the way the Jews, that was their mentality uh, for many of them. Also, the Romans and the Greeks, same thing. The Romans, especially for the ladies, they gave them plenty of room and freedom to get a divorce for just anything. And so you got to understand that this command, this New Testament command, is coming into that culture, and it's radical. But now when we look at it, we realize it's real. Because when you get a divorce, and I mean, just the things that happen, among other things, your children, your children, the, the statistics regarding the ch children of divorce, anger, anxiety, and they are the loneliest people in the world. That's what the, that's what the statistics tell us. And so we have so many reasons to just ask God for, for grace. And we have to ask God, you know, I'm not, you know, you're struggling, but you don't have biblical grounds. And, you know, you're, you're thinking, well, everyone else is doing it. And I, you know, and I hear of that celebrity and that Christian singer and all these things start happening. And next thing you know, you start, you know, justifying it. And I'm just encouraging you today to say, no, let's, let's do what the Bible says. Love marriage, hate divorce. A wife is not to depart from her husband and a husband is not to divorce his wife. You will find that even though it's difficult, you will find that loving them, even though sometimes they're not lovely, is is the best thing to do. Have you guys ever heard that mentality, the concept that says when they're at their worst, they need your love the most? Isn't that how it works? Because a lot of times we're the other way around. You know, you single people going forward, uh, you got to know what you're going into. You married people here struggling today, invest in your marriage. When Jesus is the center of your marriage, it is the closest thing to heaven in the world. But you got to let Jesus come in. You got to let Jesus be Lord. You got to let Jesus show you how to love each other. And so what we find right here is Paul says, no, a, a wife can't do that. A, a man can't do that. Both husband and wife are not to depart. 
Now, the, the context here is definitely divorce, but it's interesting, uh, the NIV translates it differently. Any of you here have an NIV, New International Version? A couple of you do. We still love you, but that's a different translation. And in, it, but the NIV, it says a wife must not separate from her husband. Now, the reason I bring that up is because a lot of times people think that when there's marital problems, the solution, the immediate solution, is separation. It's a very worldly concept, and it creeps into the hearts even of Christians, and you need to be so careful. You know, it's kind of cool sometimes when you get parents and their kids are getting married, and they, just stand, you know, they tell them, hey, uh, congratulations, you're getting married. I just want you to know that when you have your hard, your hard times as, as a couple, don't come to our house. <laughs> work things out, right? Because a lot of times we think, well, I can just run away and we can just separate, right? And the first solution is not separation because what separation does is it actually teaches us how to live a life apart from each other. In all reality, it's not biblical and it's not wise unless, and I need to say this because I know, you know, sometimes we find things even in the church unless there's physical abuse, in which case we would counsel any woman to separate from a physically abusive husband immediately. Ladies, don't let that guy lay hands on you like that, right? It just can't happen. All right, gentlemen, guys, I know this goes without saying, but I pray that we would never, ever, ever get physical with our wives in an abusive way. You know, and, and before you say, well, yeah, Pastor Manny, but she starts hitting me first. And as a chaplain, I'll tell you this, because sometimes we go on these domestic violence calls, and we go there, and that's pretty much clockwork how it works. They say, well, she started hitting me, and so I had to restrain her, you know. And next thing you know, as a guy, you're stronger than her. You're throwing her around, or you got bruises on her arm. Listen, if she does that to you guys, I would just say, you know, walk out. If you're here and you're in a situation like that, talk to a pastor. We'll do our best, man, to help you through this. Don't be ashamed because a lot of times people go through that. And we need to be there for each other, right? And so um, God's heart for, for marriage is a wife and a husband to stay together. Now, the Greek word uh, for depart here, uh, believe it or not, is chorizo. You guys knew that, right? Have you guys ever heard that? Any of you guys ever heard that? That Greek word is? It really is. It really is. Um, Thayer's lexicon defines it as dividing or parting or departing, putting asunder or going away. And it's kind of interesting. That same Greek word is used in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 4, when Jesus commanded his disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to tarry there in Jerusalem and wait for power from on high. Now, I thought that was interesting because I think, and, I, and I'm trying to twist it a little bit, but in one sense, that's kind of how it works when you're struggling in your marriage, right? Don't depart from Jerusalem. Don't depart from Jerusalem. But wait, pray, seek God expectantly with great anticipation for the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's kind of cool the way that that same Greek word is used there. And so that's the, that's the heart of God. Listen, you guys, don't, don't get a divorce. But if it, if it happens, and unfortunately it will happen uh, sometimes in the church, uh, as a matter of fact, more than likely when the Corinthians asked Paul this letter, it may have already happened. 
And so Paul here, he, he talks about that. And uh, what we find, again, notice again in verse 10 to them, married, I command, uh, not, I have the, uh, not I, but the Lord, that a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does, here is in verse 11, even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to a husband. Now, if she does depart, and in that case, we're talking about an unbiblical divorce. If she does it anyways, then that sister is bound to remain unmarried. If it's a biblical divorce, she can remarry. We're going to see that later, that she's free, that there's peace. But what he's talking about in that context is an unbiblical divorce. Then she needs to stay a single and who knows, maybe one day her spouse will get saved. And, and they, like I said earlier, 6% of the time they remarry. That can happen. But if her spouse then remarries, and this can get complicated, if her spouse remarries, then she's free to remarry. So if you're here and you're wondering, Manny, my situation's kind of, you know, there's a pretzel situation, complicated, and you have questions, talk to a pastor, but it's kind of cool how the Bible gives us uh, the guidelines that we need to have. And so um, uh, we're going to see later that this is in reference to a woman or a man who gets an unbiblical divorce. And so the Corinthians, they questioned, well, what if I'm unequally yoked, married to a non-believer? And we read Paul's words this time, he doesn't have uh, explicit commands from Christ, but as he writes, he writes with apostolic authority, right? And he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And notice what we read in verse 12. He says, But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, If any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now, as you're together, they're holy. And so, again, a very, very difficult place to be when a believer is married to a non-believer, and again, if you're here and you're single, whatever you do, man, don't even think of dating a non-believer, right? Because 2 Corinthians 6.14, it tells us that explicitly. But what we find even in the church, sometimes people do it anyway. They disobey God's word and there's a believer with a non-believer. Or sometimes a person gets saved after they're married. And so one believes and one doesn't. And then there are even those times when uh, one spouse goes back into the world. And so he's talking about this, and he says, so in that case, is it okay for me to get a divorce? And Paul says, no. If that unbelieving spouse is willing to stay, then you're stuck. That's what Paul says, man. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say it that way, but, you know, what he's saying right here is you as a believer... You bring light into the home. You bring love into the home. You bring the Lord into the home. You know, a couple of words Paul alludes to in these verses. The first word is sanctification. And when you're there, there's a certain sanctification over the home. And that means that, you know, your presence, just your presence, sanctifies the house and your spouse and your children doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, he's automatically saved or the kids are automatically saved. 
You know, everyone has to make their own decision whether or not they really want to be a Christian. You could be the best spouse, the best parent in the whole world. It doesn't guarantee that your loved ones will follow Jesus. But what God is saying is that's their best chance. That's their best chance when you're there with them. You know, to sanctify, it means to set apart. It means there's more hope for them. When you're with them, uh, Paul says it makes that difference because if you leave, it's interesting how he says your children would be unclean. And none of us as parents would want our children to be unclean. We want them to be holy. And there's a lot of different things that I can think about. Uh, have you guys ever heard the story? Sometimes it's crazy where mom just up and leaves. And sometimes, I mean, if you're a Christian mom and you just up and leave your, your children, what's going to happen to them? Or if you just decide in an unbiblical way, I'm just going to do it anyways. So, you know, when, the, when you have the kids, they're in the Christian context. But when your spouse has the kids and he doesn't serve the Lord, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a non-Christian influence. And, and what, what, what Paul is saying right here is that you know, if we do this without following Jesus, if we just do this in the flesh, no big deal, because everyone else is doing it, he says that might be the determining factor whether your children go to heaven or hell. I've seen guys so selfish. They don't care about their family. All they want to do is be, they say, happy. That, that person will be miserable until the day they die because they decided to do things their way. I mean, there are so many things here that it affects you know, our kids. It affects the witness when we do things that go contrary to the scriptures. You know, not to freak you out, but man, this carries eternal ramifications on the influence of our family members and friends. And that's why Nehemiah 4.14, I love that passage, as they're building the walls around the city, he says, fight. Fight for your family. Fight for your wives. Fight for your children, you guys. You know, I pray that we would have that heart. I, I love the passage in Hebrews 11, verse 7. It says, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, he moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. And so, you know, judgment's coming. God had revealed it to them. It's going to rain. And so by faith, what did Noah do? He moved, man. He didn't just, you know, continue to do things in like a kickback way, nonchalant, I'm going to cruise through life. No, there was an urgency in his, he started doing things different. He built an ark. Think about all the work involved, all the sweat, all the labor, all the toil, all that he did. He built an ark, what, to save his household. And that's why we have to have that same urgency, guys. You know, when we have that by faith, what a difference it makes for our family. And you guys know the Holy Spirit will show you what to do. You know, I know for me, my kids are a little older now. Thank God they are Christians, but I'm still doing my best to pour into them. And basically, what the Lord has shown me is just, Talk to them. You know, give them your undivided attention. Spend time with them. Last night I came home and I wanted to work out. 
And there's nothing wrong with working out, right? Some of you guys need to work out. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the Lord has shown me sometimes that's selfish. Sometimes that's just me thinking about me. So I wanted to come home and work out, and, and Aaron was working on some survey, and he had this, a whole bunch of questions. And so I had a decision to make. Do I go work out and say, hey, bro, sorry, i got to take care of the temple, or do I spend time with my son? And, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to brag on me because I have made many, many, many mistakes. But I tell you what, the gift of time with your kids, the, the attention, just sitting down, talking to your spouse, investing in it, that's what we need to do. You know, building that house. I pray that God would just rock our worlds and take us out of our comfort zones, you guys. And we got to do something different if we expect a different results. And so that's what was going on there. You know, when you're when you stay in the in the house with an unbelieving spouse, there's a sanctification, but then there's also the possibility for salvation. Because look at verse 16. He says, "For how do you know, O wife?" whether you will save your husband or how do you know oh husband whether you will save your wife you know again not that we're saviors but we can be instrumental in the salvation of our spouse and others uh, right um, for example turn to first peter chapter 3 And notice what we read in verse 1, 1 Peter 3. It says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Now, it doesn't use the word will. Uh, it uses the word may. Again, not a guarantee, because every guy has to make a, a decision for himself, right? Sometimes the hearts are just really hard. But, but that's their best chance. And so... What he's talking about is a submission and the, and the beauty. Notice what he says in verse 2, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adorning be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And so if you're here today and your uh, wife, your husband is not saved, this is his best chance that you show that the spirit of submission and that your beauty is not just outward, but it's primarily inward, that you love the Lord. And you have this spirit about you that is attractive to him. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't comb your hair um, or, you know, whatever, put on makeup. Uh, J. Vernon McGee said, if the bar needs to be painted, paint it. That's kind of like that. I always tell my wife she doesn't need makeup, but she thinks I'm just messing around with her. I mean it. But anyways, you know, take care of yourself. It's okay, but let the focus primarily be on the inner beauty. You don't need to put tracks in his lunchbox. You don't need to nag him. I'll tell you what, when it's true love, it's, it's kind of cool how, man, it's so powerful. And so anyways, uh, the, the wives, uh, if they have this heart, then they can win their husband to the Lord. And for the husband, I would take you over to Ephesians 5, where it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. 
that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious bride, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And so you want that beautiful wife, and you're like, man, she's all messed up. And, you know, so what ends up happening is you, that kind of stops you from loving her. But what the Bible says in Ephesians 5 is that if you love her, just like Jesus loved us when we were his enemies, just like Jesus loved us when we were dead in our sins, then you'll win her to yourself. And so I encourage you guys, you know, to know this. If, if you're here and your spouse is not saved, you can be an instrument of bringing them to the Lord. Uh, not always. It doesn't always work that way. But sometimes it does, and that's their best hope. And that's what Paul is saying right here. And then there are those times where it just doesn't work out. And we read back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Notice what it says in verse 15. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage. Think about that. In bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. What if they leave me? You know, what if they walk out, man? And well, am I kind of like bound to this? And the Bible says, you know what? God says it's okay. You can go forward with your life. Uh, you can file for divorce. I mean, I don't know when the time frame, and I don't know all the details. God says, yes, if your spouse truly walks out on you, they don't want any part of the marriage. Maybe you've asked them you know, to go to counseling, they're not interested, you waited, you prayed, you've exhausted your resources, but they just keep going farther and farther and farther away. We can't force them, God can't force them. They all have a free will, and so what God says is this, there's no bondage in that place. That, that God still has beautiful plans for your life, and you can go forward with this peace that surpasses understanding. You know, like I said earlier, as a, as a leadership, as a pastor, we don't tell people what to do when they're in these situations because we know that sometimes God can bring reconciliation or other times God knows there'll never be repentance there, right? And so we don't really, you know, try to influence people. We don't want them to follow man. We want them to follow God, right? And so if they sense, however, that God is leading them to file, because their spouse just won't repent, what we got to know is the Bible says, hey, that's... That's fine, because sometimes that happens. God still has plans for you, and not just a, a piece of peace, but I would even say a perfect peace, because like Paul says right here, this is what God has called us to. And so, hopefully, you guys know um, how awesome marriage is, how holy it is. That's why they say pray for one hour before buying a house, pray for two hours before going to war, and pray for three hours before getting married. You guys know that, right? It's a big commitment, right? It's kind of like a, a violin. It doesn't work without the strings. You know, they have to be attached. There has to be that commitment, you guys. And then there's beautiful music. You're going to go through your hard times. You're going to go through your difficult times. We know what the Bible says uh, regarding adultery and abandonment. Okay, we'll give that to you, God. But in all the other cases... You guys fight hard. Stay together and watch your love as you go through those storms and you weather them together. Watch your love grow deep, so deep 
that you finally find that love for a lifetime. I don't know if it was this service or, or, or last service. I mentioned the fact that, you know, that, um, that, that, that true love happens when we're mistreated or whatever. We go through those difficulties and we love them. That's what agape love is, unconditionally, sacrificially seeking someone else's highest good, expecting nothing in return. That's kind of how it works. And so there's this commitment that we go into as Christians. You know, on a, on a, I remember seeing a, an interview with Sylvester Stallone. Um, he's, you guys know who Sylvester Stallone is, right? Rocky, Rocky guy. Uh, yo, let me see if I can do this right. Um, no, I'm just joking. I won't do that. <laughs> but they interviewed him because you kind of think about him fighting in the boxing ring, right? And so he said, boxing is a great exercise as long as you can yell, cut, whenever you want to. <laughs> and the, the person said, many people, they go into marriage the same way. They figure it's like great exercise, fun, as long as you can yell, cut, whenever you want to. But you can't. Not when you're Christians. You know, when Shelly and I got married, I remember uh, the brother sharing the, the scripture with us in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Uh, Two are better than one. But then he said there, but a threefold cord cannot be quickly broken, cannot be easily broken. It will not be broken. And that's why I don't know how you're going to do it, but the Lord will show you how to put Jesus in the very center of your relationship. That's the only way you're going to make it. And what I'm talking about is not just surviving. I'm talking about thriving and being everything that God wants you to be. Because he'll put you together, not just for your own fun, but he'll put you together for great purposes that he has for you. And so I pray um, that we would put Jesus in the center of our marriage. And if you're here, and maybe you've never even put Jesus into your heart, and what I want to encourage you to do today is before we leave, you can't leave, don't leave. Don't leave without Jesus. What if you die? You're like, I won't die. How do you know? None of us has tomorrow guaranteed. Don't walk out those doors without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that I have Jesus in my heart, that I'm his, that I have repented of my sin, and I have received him as the Lord and Savior of my life. If you haven't done that, then I encourage you today to do that. Maybe you're here and you're like, well, I already tried it. It didn't work. <laughs> Listen, if you tried it and it didn't work, then you didn't really mean it. In John chapter 3, it says they, they held on to their sin. And the reason they didn't like Jesus and want Jesus is because they love the darkness more than the light. So you have to be willing to say, yes, Lord, I give it up. I turn from my sin and I trust in you as my Lord and Savior. And when Jesus comes in, it's so cool. He gives you that peace in your relationship with him.